Hello, everybody, and welcome to the New Matter Podcast. I am Vicki Luisi, CEO for SLAS, and I have two very special guests here with me today. Joining me today is a blast from the past, a voice you all might recognize, Mike Tarselli, Chief Scientific Officer for Tetra Science, and Bill Habib, Chief Marketing Officer for Tetra Science. Mike and Bill, welcome. Hello. Thank you. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm delighted to have you both here. Mike, I'm going to start with you. I just rattled off a new, t- um, sort of new title and company for you since you left SLAS. Why don't you tell everybody what you've been doing since you left SLAS? Sure. First, I am so humbled and honored to be back on the podcast. I mean, it, it's where we all started. I miss SLAS like crazy. I love the people there, the science, the dedication to lab automation, science, screening, data science. I mean, it really is the number one community worldwide for people who are at that Venn diagram overlap of science, automation, and data. I mean, it's just awesome. So I miss it like crazy. I'm so happy to be here. Um, what have I been up to? So Tetra Science is this, uh, this sort of vision in an eyeball of a couple founders at the Harvard Innovation Lab from 2014 that uh, started up in Internet of Things and then quickly sort of didn't really find much traction with that business model. And so somewhere around 2018, 2019, they said, well, what do people really want? And they asked their customers and their customers said, you know, we don't need the collection of the data from the machines as much as we need somebody to put the data someplace and do something exciting with it so we can learn more from our experiments. And at the time, they were a a bunch of tech folks in a room trying to do the tech thing. And um, one of their board members, who was one of my former contacts at Novartis, said, you know, they need some science muscle. They need somebody to understand and, and interpret from the pharma side what they're doing. And I said, oh, no, I'm with SLAS. This is amazing. I love SLAS and want to stay there for a long time. And they just kept coming at and coming at and saying, we think you could do this. And I said, okay, great. So I did make the jump. I was sad to go, but here I am at Tetra. I landed into a company of 23 people at the time with very few processes that had barely raised any money. And we were all working remote and had never met in person. And since that time, I'm very proud to report in the 18 months I've been gone from SLAS, We've expanded to over 150 people. We've 30X'd, yes, that's not a misprint, 30X'd our revenue. And we're just growing like a weed. So, um, you know, if you have pharma data challenges, please bring them to us. Wow. I mean, I knew that you all were doing really great things and growing lightning speed, but that is truly amazing. And uh, let me just say out there, I mean, as m- sorry as we were to have to say goodbye to Mike, I think Tetra Science could not have made a better decision in bringing you in as their chief scientific officer. You are exactly the right kind of person with the right kind of energy and innovative thinking that a new company needs. So kudos to Tetra for snatching you away from us. That's so kind of you. Let's come on. It's a team sport. So I'm surrounded by a lot of genius tech architects and scientific analysts and you know folks who run our engineering and marketing product, one of whom is my buddy, Bill, who's in the room. So Bill, do you want to talk about your role here and what you're up to? Oh, sure. Thanks, Mike. So I've been here about two months and my role is to bring our message about how people can even more effectively leverage their scientific data that's stuck in silos and fragmented in vendor proprietary formats, how we can 
help them bring all that data together in a form that takes the inefficiency away from the data wrangling and wrestling and allows people to focus on doing great science and data science. So as you said very nicely, Mike, the intersection of science, automation, and data science is just a powerful combination. Oh, yeah. So my mission here is, is, is help educate customers in the market that this is a much better way of doing things. If they were stuck wrangling with their data and fighting with it, there's the the good amount of work with data to provide high value science and data science. But uh, my mission is help bring that message out to all the scientists and data scientists in the world to help them understand there's a better way of, of doing this. See, and Vicky, you can tell just from that statement, which one of us is in marketing, which one of us is a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. And that's exactly how it should be, right? There's a reason why <laughs> you bring in a marketing expert and why you bring in a science expert, because those are places where you need expertise. You don't ever need one person to do both of those things. That would be a probably not a good combo at all. Agreed. So Tetra Science is exhibiting at SLAS 2022, which is taking place in Boston in a couple of weeks. Let me say that one more time. SLAS 2022 is taking place in Boston in a we couple of weeks. We will be there. We cannot Excellent. We will be too. The you know, professional team is so excited to be back and seeing everybody in person. It has been a wild couple of years and we're just just sort of chomping at the bit to be at the international conference again. So along those lines, tell me, tell us why Tetra Science decided to exhibit this year at SLAS 2022 and why you have held to that decision, given all of the changes and surges and with variants and openings and closings and masks and vaccines and whatnots. What led you to the decision and, and what led you to keep to that decision? Yeah, I'll give a little bit of a background on that. First of all, I mean, we are all sitting here in January of 2022 as we record this. So, you know, COVID is no longer a new thing. Unfortunately, it's sort of transitioned from pandemic to endemic. In fact, a couple of governments of large European countries in just the past couple of weeks have basically thrown their hands up and said, look, we're going to treat it like the common cold or influenza now because it's just going to be here for a long, long time. That is a sad and unfortunate situation. That said, we got to adapt to it as a society, you know? And so, hey, if the next three or four years are everybody carries their vaccine card and wears a mask and washes their hands more often, it is far and away better to do that and be pragmatic and still meet in person and transact with scientists looking each other in the eye and sharing our data in open forum than it is to hang out on Zoom for the next 10 years of our lives pretending like we can't get over the virus, right? We have safe and effective vaccines driven <laughs> cough by data science <laughs> and cloud <laughs> and automation. Thanks, Moderna. Thanks, Pfizer. Thanks, J&J. &J. Um, so, right, go out there, get vaccinated, get boosted, be responsible, you know, don't approach people's personal space, you know, and go have a good time. You can do things safely in person. We've been at several events. We test before and after events. We mask up. Things are fine. Bill, anything? Yeah, I almost can't even add to that if I may just kind of expand on what Mike said. As a company, we are in that intersection of science, data science, and automation. And this is the appropriate venue for us to be in front of those people. Regrettably, this is going to be around as an endemic, as, as Mike said. I'll give a personal note to this for a second as one who you know kept my own family sort of fairly well confined for a stretch of time. And I've got you know a young family. So on a personal basis, 
Am I still concerned about this endemic? Yes. Yeah, me too. However, and Mike's got a young child as well, but this is with us now. And we all hoped it would be over, but it's with us. As Mike said, uh, the UK just announced the last couple of days that they are getting rid of masking and other restrictions because we've got to learn to live with this current state and move along. As Mike said, we've got all these protections in place. I practice them personally. I support so other people to do that. But business has to go on. There is nothing to me that is more energizing or that replaces in-person contact. Granted, we have to be a little more careful about it now got to be in the room where it happens. Right. I sat on Zoom calls and still sit on Zoom calls, but there is nothing that replaces serendipity and the spontaneity and the energy that comes through in-person interactions and the ability to convey information and insights on a, a personal basis where you can see the other person's eyes, even if the eyes are above the level of the mask <laughs> or their mouth, we'll do it safely and pragmatically in ways that we don't want to violate um, safety or compromise that in any way. But I do think it's time for us to kind of get back to life. Um, I'm going to make one more comment here, is, and this is not my own line, but about a year and a half ago, I was involved in an interview with some executives of, of um, very big, fast-going companies that uh when I was at a different company in the Durling and Data Science space, and we asked these executives, what's your advice to people for this uh, kind of going forward? How do you think about the future? And one of them said something so compelling to me, not to me, to the, to the whole audience. He said, I'm tired of people talking about a new normal. Let's talk about and create a new remarkable. Mm-hmm. And so my challenge for everyone is to say, let's create a new remarkable that acknowledges where we are. And can we create a new remarkable for everybody involved in science, automation, and data science that helps us get to someplace even bigger and better? And I think um, the upcoming conference is a great place to be kicking that place. SLA of 2022, baby. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we absolutely at SLAS share in your philosophy of it's time to figure out how to live with this virus. And at the end of 2021, SLAS hosted four symposia, in-person symposia with a virtual option if people couldn't travel. Two of those were in Europe, two were in California, and they went off great. We're certainly doing things differently as we are putting together events. And those four symposia laid the groundwork for us to make sure that we were creating a safe event environment for SLAS 2022. But you're 100% correct. You know, we simply have to now sort of pull ourselves out of our sweatpants and away from the screen <laughs> and, and, and our pajamas. Uh, you know, we got, we got to put on, we got to put on the grown up clothes again and, um, and, and get out there. And sometimes that feels, you know, when you've been doing it so long, it can feel a little uncomfortable. I've, one of our board member shared a story with me recently where he was traveling and trying to meet with customers and they were saying, Oh yeah, no, I'm working from home. And he said, look, you have to eat lunch. I have to eat lunch. Let's go have lunch, you know? And he could tell that there was this hesitancy because it just became this habit to stay at home. Um, So pulling us out of that habit and getting into some new habits is where we believe we need to go. You know, after 9-11, 
things changed a lot with air travel, but nobody thinks twice anymore when you have to take your shoes off in the security line. So it's just part of our lives. And I think so much of how we are adapting to being back in person is going to be very similar. There are just going to be things that'll be different and eventually will just become part of our everyday lives. That's so well said. And you know what? There will also be exceptions made for those who can't. We get it. You guys are offering hybrid options. Some people are immunocompromised or have families. Fine. They'll participate remotely. But I would love to see an 80-20, a Pareto principle rule where 80% of the people can pragmatically do it in person and the other 20% can hang out in the background because of whatever issue it is and still participate. That would be amazing. It would be much better than all of us sitting at home. Absolutely. And providing that hybrid component, you know, was also a very important part to us as we were developing SLAS 2022, because we knew there would still be company travel restrictions. We knew there would be some people who just weren't comfortable yet in being face-to-face or couldn't be. So that's always important for us to make sure that we're trying to address the needs of our entire community. So I'm going to move on a little bit because TetraScience, virtually anyway, and you, Mike, I know, are based in Boston. So tell us a little bit about what has the atmosphere been like in Boston lately? The New York Times, I know, reported last week that Boston had already made its way through its peak of Omicron. They used some data that Boston's been reporting out on testing their wastewater to determine where surges are within the city. And Mike, you've been posting about this data on social media for almost two years. So you're right there in the thick of it. Tell us what's the feel in Boston these days. Vicki, you know me and you've known me a long time and we can be honest with each other in this podcast in front of, you know, all thousands of members of SLES, but it's poop data, guys. It, it is, is poop data. <laughs> I was trying I was trying to make it sound, you know, really <laughs> professional, but it's poop data. Yeah. <laughs> in, in reality, right? It's actually a fascinating part of the expansion of COVID-19 is that passive wastewater monitoring, you know, expansion and enhancement through PCR, and then looking at, at endemic viruses and bacteria and such that's in the wastewater. And then this company, Biobot Analytics, which is literally a child of the pandemic, venture finance, doing great. I think it's a company of like 20 people that's raised a couple hundred million bucks or something, but they are looking at effluent, right? At wastewater, at major processing stations, So in Boston, we have two sort of sections of the city, the north and the south. The north is sort of the communities north of the Charles River and the south is sort of Framingham, Newton, et cetera, down in the back bay. And then they basically look at where those two streams converge out in the middle of Boston Harbor and they sample the wastewater every two or three days and they PCR it and they say, okay, let's look at how much COVID-19 is in there. And at the beginning of the pandemic, it was, you know, still concerning, 200, 300, 400 copies of the DNA of the virus in there. And people watch the curve. And it's amazing how closely the data and the peaks mirror what you see in the New York Times, the Boston Globe, or the NIH. It is nearly picture perfect to the reported cases, what is sloughing off of people from their internal organs, pardon my French. But then you saw, right as Omicron took over and became the dominant variant, this peak came in that was orders of magnitude bigger than anything anyone had seen. It was in the New York Times, it was in the NIH again, and you just saw in in the poop data, boom, it just rocketed up and came to this peak and people started to say, oh man, things were closed down again, they put in vaccine passports as they should. But just as quickly, Omicron did what all successful viruses does. It said, you know, I'm kind of done. I don't want to kill anybody. I'll be endemic, but I'm going to secure at a lower level. And it rocketed back off. 
So it's a huge, big spike. It seems to have passed its peak. It's back down around the level it was back around sort of December 2021. So things are better in Boston. There is, of course, Mayor Wu, who was just elected, has instilled a mask policy again and a little bit of a vaccine passport. So if you want to go to a gym or a restaurant, you do have to show your smartphone. But honestly, that's not much different than communities in China, Switzerland, Spain, where you have to do the same. So again, it's this new normal. It's this new remarkable, right? You may have to show an app, but heck, at least you can go to a restaurant again. Yeah, we saw a lot of that in Europe in the fall where you had to show proof of vaccination to check into a hotel, to go to a restaurant, get on a train, so on. Again, that's probably going to be just a part of our life for a while. Well, I love that you talked about the poop data. You've been talking (laughs) about the poop data for almost two years on Facebook, so... That's kind of fantastic. And I know cities also like New York, here in Chicago, we've made it through our peak on Omicron as well. So I think there's, at least with this variant, some very good news coming on the horizon there that we're making our way through the surge. You mentioned this a minute ago that you have been to other events. Have you been to other events in Boston in the last few months? And if so, what were they like from a safety standpoint? And what was it, probably more importantly, what was it like from that interaction standpoint? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I'll give you both an event from Europe we've been to, and then not a scientific conference event, but a more social event I've been to in Boston, both of which had the same restrictions in place. You had to show proof of vaccination at the door. You had to download an app and show a QR code. You had to wear a mask in the building unless you could show demonstrable evidence of the booster, et cetera. And you had to test out the other side. And as long as you could do those things, it was cool. You could participate. In fact, in Europe, after a little while, you know, once you could prove everyone was vaccinated, sometimes people took masks off and shook hands, you know, like people do. And I'm not saying that to scare anyone. I know, you know, that may be different if you're immunocompromised, for example. But honestly, with a report came out in science just two days ago on the ASAPs. And they said, basically, if you're boosted, you have a 23x protective factor over just having the two doses of the vaccine. So, I mean, there's no sure things in life, but it's pretty close to sure that if you've got two doses of vaccine and a booster and you're in reasonably decent health and you don't have any other mitigating factors, you're probably not going to catch COVID from somebody standing six or 10 feet away from you exchanging business talk. That is probably a safe thing to do. Bill, you want to add to that? Yeah, uh, just a couple of quick things. On a personal basis, I was at an event in the holiday season, just a concert that had many hundred people and people just flashed their vaccine cards or showed it on their smartphone and everybody wore masks indoors and and it was a a rather crowded event and I heard nothing as a, a consequence of this. I am not saying this to be dismissive at all. Every time I'm in a venue with other people, I think, oh gosh, you know, but it is what it is. We were at a, we spoke at a conference, a bio IT conference and had a a presence there in, I think it was late September, late October. Just before Omicron, just before. And I think they had, I don't know if they had a hybrid component to it. It was just purely in person. I believe it may have just been purely in person. And that was very successful also. That was obviously before the Omicron surge, but um, it drew up quite a number of people and was very successful. So as Mike said, and we've said, we've got to live with the current changes that are all around us and figure out how do we soldier through those. And I do believe soldier through those and create a new remarkable in some form that's going to bring us to yet a better place. Uh, I think it was JFK who brought this out. The Chinese word for crisis has, I think, two parts to the character. One is crisis and one is opportunity. And so 
let's look for what the opportunity is and pursue it in a safe and pragmatic way. But let's look at the opportunity that if anything that we've learned over the last two years, leveraging scientific data in the cloud enabled companies to come out with vaccines in record time, 42 days. And so I think that there's an impetus for everybody in the community to be able to look at ways we reinvent ourselves and take what's happened and say, all right, what do we do from this that's going to make us all better and make new opportunities. And so I think the opportunity and the time is right for the SLAS community to uh, look at what the opportunity is ahead. Vicky, yeah. if I can add to that real quick, I'm sure you guys know this from the, the SLAS 2022 vendor and attendee list, but I mean, you are seeing a amazing sea change in folks who are cloud first, remote, mm-hmm. scientific, informatic. I see artificial attending. I see all of the informatics divisions of Thermo attending. I mean, you've got so many companies that are in the thick of this all coming because, again, not only do they miss the in-person events, but they see this coming trend of the market, the beautiful blend of cloud plus science plus readiness of the world to accept this as a technology. Yeah. You know, I, like many, many people, have become a huge fan of Ted Lasso. And there was an exchange between Ted and his boss where he was going into a game that he was just, I think he was going to play Man City or something. Like the chances of them winning were not good. And she said, look, if every disadvantage has an advantage. And I think that is exactly what we're seeing emerged within our community throughout COVID, that while COVID was the disadvantage, I mean, no doubt, the hundreds of thousands, millions of people were getting sick, hundreds of thousands have died. I mean, it's terrible, terrible thing. And, you know, certainly workplaces had to change, so on and so forth. But it forced our community to look at how we do science differently. And so we had to take that disadvantage and create it into an advantage for the public, you know, so that we could find ways to deliver science faster, more effectively, and get rid of some of those bottlenecks. And it's been a really incredible thing to watch on this side of things, to watch our community and all of these companies come up with different ways of doing things and being incredibly effective and impactful. So. Mike, I know you've obviously been to an SLAS conference before. Bill, I don't know if you have. but No, I have not yet, but I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, then tell me, what are you most looking forward to at SLAS oh, 2022? This is all you. I won't spoil it for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what I'm most looking forward to are really a couple of things. The most significant of them is simply having the chance to talk face-to-face with people from the SLAS community scientists and people who are data scientists about what their challenges and issues are associated with better leveraging their data. There's nothing for me that replaces a live conversation with somebody who is facing challenges associated with uh, with technology. And I feel it's kind of an opportune time for us in this era in life for kind of cloud technologies to help fuel and drive faster and better scientific innovation. So the top thing for me is just getting to chat live face-to-face with people, even if it's 20 or 50 or 100 people, just what's going on and what are, what are your frustrations and issues and challenges and how can technologies like ours potentially help their lives be better? So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to attending sessions. Both of those are really top of mind. My own learning and education on groundbreaking 
and things people are doing. I've read a whole number of the abstracts for presentations, and they're more than I would like to attend than time and schedule would permit. So it's both learning and education for me, but also just the interactions with people to get a sense for what's going on in there. Oh, okay, okay. I will spoil it a little bit. <laughs> I, I didn't think you could hold back, Mike. I Go ahead. Okay. I want to see the Ignite Award talks. I want to see who gets selected for the Innovation Award because those are the creme de la creme and they are really impactful talks that hundreds of people attend. I can't wait for that. I want to walk the floor and watch the high-res biosolutions robot follow me around and chase me with a plate. <laughs> I, I, I want to you know, go see poster sessions in person. I want to experience the amazing food and the great Tuesday night party. There's so many things that I miss about the SLAS International Conference that I think are going to be doubly impactful since people have taken kind of a two-year high Yeah, for sure. And so, Mike, what advice would you give to a first-time attendee? You know, even though this event we're expecting lower attendance than we normally would, as to be expected, the event itself is very much the same in the way of everything that is available, and it's a lot. We know it's a lot. So, how would you advise a first-time attendee to tackle SLAS 2022? Okay, first, uh, make a strategy. Look down the list of the attendees in the sessions and figure out you know what you want to go to when because there will be ones that are standing room only and you wish you had thought about that early so you could go and get your seat second thing is make time to walk the floor at some conferences people say well i don't want to be affiliated with that exhibition stuff i want to just attend the sessions and you know be an elite academic no not here This is a place where you go to watch robots, you go to watch data, you go to watch consumables, you go to see cool lasers and cool new probes and such. You need to walk the floor. And the third thing is just make time to Bill's point uh, for serendipity. You know, hang out in the hall, type it on your laptop and watch attendee badges as you walk by because you're going to find somebody who you used to work with or who looks interesting and you just want to strike up a conversation or a young student who's there on their first poster assignment. You just want to recruit some intern talent, right? I mean, it's just such a good ferment of people that you need to make time for those three things. That's excellent advice. Excellent. Having a strategy is definitely key with the event because like I said, there is a lot there for people to experience. Well, thank you both so very, very much for joining me here today. And I am very much looking forward to seeing you in person in a few week, a couple weeks now in Boston at SLAS 2022. For those of you who are also going to be there in person, I can't wait to do some elbow bumping and some smiling with my eyes when I see you. I'm also going to be able to see so many of you who aren't able to be there in person, but are going to be joining us on online. So please get excited. Get your mask game going. Uh, We've been comparing mask colors here amongst the team. Get your vaccination records up to date and we'll see you in Boston. Thank you, Mike. and Thank you, Bill. Thank you very much, Vicki. We appreciate the time.